to the uh, this morning's Dharma talk was given to me, was suggested to me about 15, 20 minutes ago. And what is it? Clearing your mind with a question mark. Okay, it's pretty hard to clear your mind, but if you have a question mark, it makes it a lot easier because of the hook on the end of the question mark. You know about that? No, that's why we're asking. So that's part of uh, um, Mr. Hopkins uh, uh, in his book, um, Meditation on Emptiness, which is uh, the Tibetan, specifically the Gelugpa approach to working with emptiness. And I think there's a series of, uh, what are there, eight or seven different things that you need to do. First, clear the mind, and I think that's one of them. And that's <clears throat> apparently has stirred up some conversation in the book study, which happens which day of the week? On Monday night, uh, as a group, the Sangha studies Meditation on Emptiness, which is a quite a good-sized book that uh, I studied some, some years ago. It's very good, and it's a... Uh, Pretty challenging uh, intellectually because you have to bring a lots of different ideas that Tibetans, especially the Galupas, are very much about you know entering the, the Buddhist path through a, a strong conceptual gate. Uh, other lineages aren't so uh, quick to do that. Uh, for instance, the Kagyu lineage, uh, to which uh, I studied in and am still a part of, is uh, also called the practice lineage. It's also called the Mantrayana. Emphasizes. Uh, Awareness practice and emphasis, uh, in the Tibetan tradition is called shine, or resting in tranquility, or uh, calm abiding is the other translation of that Tibetan word. The, <clears throat> the other a- aspect of that is uh, uh, laktung. Laktung is a Tibetan word that means uh, awareness, panoramic awareness. And the idea there is that first you, first you sit down and train your mind, clear your mind, and work with that until when you get really good clarity, then you start ex- extending the, the pashana the Mahavipassana, or great panoramic awareness out to the world. And uh, in, in uh, Shikantaza, which is a, a word that means just precisely this, we do both of those at the same time. And in this way, the interesting thing about doing this both at the same time is that your particular karma, your the causes and conditions that arise as your personality, your style, your way of liking some things, not liking others, <coughs> being affected by some... You're affected by one thing and your friend right next to you is not affected by that at all and is really kind of curious as to why you're having a problem with anything. And then uh, two days later or the, net, the same day, then you both will kind of agree on some particular idea. Uh, <clears throat> as we know, look in the mirror, look around you. Everyone is human being. I think there, I don't think there's any aliens here, but I'd have to check your alien. <laughs> I don't mean that kind. I mean the kind from Andromeda. <laughs> There are no aliens. They're just people's projections onto others that, that makes them separate. But we also don't go to war with it, which is not helpful. We go to war with anything. It's just exactly that is warfare. So the title, First Clear the Mind, <clears throat> has something. There's something to, to that because you're said uh, shamatha practice uh, or shine, resting the tranquility, calm abiding, is just very simply sitting down and following the breath, usually. And it could be uh, involved... When thoughts arise, labeling, thinking, returning to the breath, try to create a strong meditator person, a strong person who is able to actually do the panoramic awareness or Mahavipassana. So have no argument with argument with that. If you're studying under a Tibetan Lama or someone who's been trained in that way, then that probably is what you should be doing. You should be doing what the teacher person is re- recommending that you do. There's nothing saying Shikantaza is more you know, accurate or better necessarily. But everyone should determine for the, for themselves by checking it out. Uh, <clears throat> in the Tibetan tradition, also uh, uh, Nyingma tradition is, uh, is also the teaching of uh, Zogchen or Zogpa Chenpo, which uh, basically means just precisely this. 
that everything is completely perfect as it is. There's nothing to correct. There's nothing else to do. Chicken Taz is very much that way. You know, this is just how I see it. It's not, I'm not a philosopher. I'm by no means a, an academic. I'm a, a Buddhist monk. And I don't have, other than uh, the training that I got from Trump Rinpoche and all the studying I've done on my own, I don't really have. So, but what I do understand is the concept of first clear the mind, if you're going to approach it that way, and with the other ones, I don't recall the other ones that come after that, each thing you're supposed to do, have a step-by-step -step kind of progressive uh, situation. That, I think that works, possibly would work okay if you were working with a teaching person and with someone so you could really uh, have that kind of help. Um, Shikantaza, on the other hand, is uh, you're on your own. Uh, not everyone is ready to do this. Uh, and sometimes I have students that I, um, you could say, back them up into uh, more of a, a shamatha style practice. They're, they're really, it's too much difficulty just looking at the wall with nothing to do. And uh, so if they have a little bit of, you know, following the breath or something, that sometimes can uh, give them a little bit more stability they might need for three weeks, three months, three years, or the first 10 minutes of each set. So I'm not trying to do away with that. I'm just saying that based on my own uh, practice over the years, I think that is, um, uh, it seems to be, uh, there seem to be a lot of people who are ready to hear this teaching that is just direct. Just see what it is. That's all I'm saying. That's all any, that's all the Buddha is saying, uh, as far as I can tell. Just see the truth. See that you're not separate from anything. There is, there is no, there are no separate things anywhere. This is an ultimate teaching that has a completely ordinary experience. That's why it, it, go, it, it uh, keeps, uh, uh, we keep missing it. We, we keep, we have it in front of us. It is in front of you all the time. And this is why it's called uh, by Longchenpa, another uh, Yingma teacher, it's called, it's called the Great Perfection. So <clears throat> I would say, coming back to the original topic, first clear the mind, uh, Shikantaza is uh, first sit down and just see how, how unclear your mind is. This is the process. Sit down, hold still, and watch what the mind does, and it will just be full of, and everyone's description would be a little bit different. Sometimes full of, full of worry about someone, full of worry about oneself, worry about your health, uh, worry about, uh, you know, just fretting about something. Or maybe you have the, the, the other kind of uh, uh, negativity that is extremely difficult to deal with, and that's uh, you're sitting still or you're sitting at your kitchen table or sitting on the porch, maybe you're at work. And just extreme kind of negativity comes up with no apparent springboard for it. It doesn't seem to come from anywhere. This is very difficult for, for anyone. And the, the temptation, of course, is to find out why. And a why question, as those of you who have been listening to me, why questions are, have some, uh, some value. Even the Buddha said, why is there suffering? First noble truth. Second noble truth, because of desire, wanting things to be different than they are. That's why the suffering keeps, uh, ouch, ouch, ouch. Hurts. So the why question tends to, it's, it's the very nature of samsara is our why questions. Like you don't have something and you want something. So you don't have it, you want it. Even if it's, a, you have a question, the very nature of question and answer is samsara. And that's why I highly encourage people to ask questions so that we can get this thing on the, on the move so that we can eventually get to <laughs> what? Just exactly that. What questions, everything stops. So anytime any experience comes up for you, positive, negative, neutral, or anything that, that seems to bring up to a why, go with the other W word. Go with the other one. Just move, move it from why to what is this before you go any further into why this is. Because when you say why, you actually abandon what you're asking about. You actually abandon that and go into some uh, 
circuitous route around all the logic or all the memories or all the things that have uh, come up around that, trying to track it down like some kind of a detective. If this were just a physical world, just physics, just materialistic, you could do that and you could solve situations. But this is not just material. This is a spiritual dimension. We're actually living a spiritual or a physical life in a spiritual dimension. Uh, the other way of saying this is uh, rather than you think consciousness arises in you, actually you're arising in consciousness. Consciousness doesn't belong to anyone. There's no ownership there. So your very physical form, body, speech, mind, all of that is arising in a spiritual dimension. If you don't realize that, you'll be stuck on plus and minus, success and failure, the worldly narmas. You'll always be struggling for this like much of the world is just at each other's heels about right and wrong, you should, you shouldn't, they should, they shouldn't. Political parties are just a complete uh, organized insanity. You'd say disorganized insanity. It's pretty crazy. And to go in there, uh, to, to go in, as I told uh, the politician that came, uh, person running for a Democratic uh, nomination, and, uh, came to talk to her a little bit and just said, uh, uh, and she's a meditator, uh, and uh, I said, uh, the way I talk about it is very simple. I say, if you take an unexamined mind full of chaos and confusion, suffering, difficulty, even though it's at a low, uh, very low frequency, you go out into the world of the kind of thing that's going on in politics and in the world, then that will start to vibrate. It's unexamined. So you don't know about it. Now, if you know about it, even though you may still have it, then it's workable because then you go out and you already know what your what foibles are. You already know about your aggression. You already know about your jealousy. You already know about aggression that you've been looking at and you don't know what to do with it, but it's there. And uh, and so therefore you're able to work with some skillfulness even around people who are very, very aggressive or very, very fixed. Sometimes the aggression is looks very soft. They can be wearing robes, you know, but it's but aggression. If you've looked at your, you're not going to recognize aggression in others until you've looked at it yourself. You have to look at it. And that looking is not comfortable. So if you've not done this kind of a investigation, that kind of investigation will be full of projections. You will not even see who people are. You'll see your projections of them. It's called ignorance. So the sitting practice of meditation, clear the mind. It means sit down, hold still, have all of your senses open, and just watch what moves. So in a sense, it's like following the breath, except we're not attaching to it. Follow the breath, stay on the breath. We're not doing that like a shine, shamatha practice, uh, or a mindfulness practice. We're actually holding our body very still, and then that dynamic that, that looks like it's separate from the body, we watch what that does. It goes here, goes there, goes up, goes down, gets hot, gets cold, cool, gets aggressive, gets soft, turns, starts to turn away, starts to go to sleep. Sometimes when people say they have trouble staying awake, I say, are you sitting? Yes. Are you holding still? Trying to. Uh, and, then and then I'm falling asleep. And I said, that's awareness practice. Don't try to, let's say you shouldn't try to stay awake, but you might experiment a little bit with falling asleep. You might just go to sleep. I wouldn't sit too close to the wall. Uh, if you do, make sure there's a pillow on it. <laughs> but uh, actually, ex the, ex the awareness of falling asleep is could be very helpful. It will help you understand something I can't even tell you that you will understand about your own particular sleep physical dynamic. Uh, it will help you. Um, so I would say that's awareness too. Falling asleep is awareness, if you're aware of it. So <clears throat> the idea is to first sit down and look at the way in which the mind is not clear, rather than go in and with some kind of uh, manipulation to clear the mind. I'm not saying it can't be done, but um, I don't teach that. What I teach is awareness. See the see the, the, the chaos in the mind. 
And in your mind, it may not be, you may not use the word chaos. You may, the word in your mind may be um, uh, aggression. It may be, it may be depression. Uh, it may be, um, you may begin to see how you're fooling yourself, like you're deceiving yourself in some way. You may begin to look at a particular relationship you're in and you, could, you might, be, might be able to see that more clearly. Um, so I'm not saying there wouldn't be some kind of clarifying going on or clearing the mind going on, but it should be based on an awareness practice rather than a, than a, a uh, some kind of motivation to get rid of things. You don't need to get rid of anything. The basic teaching that I say all the time is include. You should include everything. If you include, if you exclude anything, this is this is a, could be aggression, or could be uh, the reverse kind of passion, which is I don't like that, which is passion, and it could also be some kind of shutting down the three poisons: passion, aggression. To see how passion, aggression, and ignorance is moving in you is is how I would recommend when you sit down, hold still, watch what happens, notice uh, if you can the passion and the aggression, which are easier to see. The one that's hard is the the ignorance, because the very nature of ignorance, ignorance is this, is shutting off. So, and since everyone is wired so differently, has different kinds of, as I said, you came into this life however many years ago, cause and effect brought you here. You didn't do this necessarily, at least you probably don't remember it. If you do remember, uh, you should, we should have a talk. They probably don't remember about coming, wanting to come back here, but something happened like that that doesn't show up in our conventional memory <clears throat> where you're, you're here. If you go look in the mirror, this is an astonishing situation we find ourselves in. Or, or, or there's some kind of identity happening that, that and some kind of a, a social interaction with other human beings that gives us some kind of credibility as a separate self. Look at that closely. See if there is a, a separate self there. See if anytime any kind of fear comes up, that's ego. Anytime any kind of uh, artificial or conditional happiness comes up, that's ego. Not to get rid of either one. I'm not saying get rid of it. I'm saying aware, aware, aware. Always be aware, and then you'll then the there'll be a natural sense of the fancy word for it is equilibrium, or uh, what's the other one? Equanimity. I knew it was an equanimity. I mean, it's how fancy is that? What is an What is an equanimity person? What? Yeah. No, I'm not. Equanimous. Equa anonymous. Yeah. Like nobody's there. So the. The idea of using any teaching, this particular teaching, using any teaching to help us investigate. And please, I'm saying, I say this to anybody to listen, anybody that gives me permission, train your mind. Don't don't let, live another three days without tr trying to see who this is. That's what I mean by it. I don't mean become a Buddhist. You do whatever you want. If you become a Buddhist, uh, I'll help you. Uh, but, uh, Buddhism is not actually a belief in Buddhism. That is not a disbelief either. It's uh, Belief and disbelief are very low level ways of operating with the mind. You don't need to believe or disbelieve anything in function, uh, without really knowing what is true and what's not true. And in fact, and in fiction, you might function a lot better. It might be an easier easier experience for you. <clears throat> Questions at this point? Oh, clear the mind. When you teach us to just observe, so it, yep. it doesn't look clear, just observe that. Mm -hmm. And then just having people ask about the practice that we're doing, um, a lot of times they'll say, well, I can't do that. I can never clear my mind without even bringing up that term. But it's such a, a buzzword, clear your mind. And it kind of seems like it sets people up for failure before they start. And then we read this book. It says, first, clear your mind. Mm -hmm. So could it mean something different um, than we're thinking about when we hear people say, You'd have well, to I ask Jeffrey. I don't know. Uh, he's actually coming out of the, he's a student of uh his holiness, Dalai Lama. So his teaching, he's a very, very erudite 
Paul would work with all those kind of concepts. And that's what he was taught. That's what he teaches. And he, he may mean something, but generally speaking, it's, it's some kind of shambhashine. Uh, so you say, see it clearly. Would you contrast that with the phrase, clear your mind? I just say, see the confusion clearly. If you're seeing, I sometimes say when somebody says, uh, tells me about their negativity and how difficult they are, I says, well, yeah, but look how aware you are. What I see there is the awareness. I don't really lock down on the difficulty. So the awareness is what's powerful. So if you see, we don't, because of the self-centeredness, we don't, we don't see that we're actually having an experience and openness. We're experiencing our negativity, our internal warfare. If you have to see this, if you want to end the war in your gut, you have to see it first. And seeing it is not pleasant, especially if it's covered over with lots of concepts about that, which it won't, won't you can't can't get down there. It's too deep to go to. That's why it takes a lot of repetition. You have to return to the cushion, return to the cushion, return to the wall, return to the chair, return, return, returning to stillness, returning to silence, returning to observation, observation, observation. Nothing to believe, nothing to disbelieve. Just just see. Get to know yourself, as my teacher Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche would say. Make friends with yourself. And if you if you haven't made friends with this deep, deep level of distress, or that we all have, maybe you wouldn't call it that. It's my just some kind of. That's how I got onto this uh, situation because of deep uh, unhappiness with myself and with the world and so on. And so it brought me with the help of my my teacher, my teachers to to come and look at this closely and see what it is and. Uh, See the warfare. If you look closely at the warfare and you don't do anything with it, the minute you start to meddle with warfare without seeing what it is, you create more warfare. So don't don't go to war with war. Just see the war. See it deeply, deeply, deeply. And then your own Buddha nature, your own awakened nature, your the natural sanity that you were that is your birthright will start to arise and, and the war you just won't fuel it anymore. You won't send troops to the front. You know, it's like the poet E.E. E. Cummings said back in what the 40s said, what if somebody gave a war? Nobody came. <laughs> what if somebody had a war? Anybody ever read? So um, it's it's about the awareness part of it that is so amazing. And, and there's no guarantee. So you may sit and just feel more and more crappy or more and more discontent or uh, that may happen. And I would just, um, I'm that's my job here is to encourage you to keep going no matter what. Sit down, hold still. You know, if you, if you don't want to face a wall, then face the curtains or, or face the woods. Or try to face something with your eyes open that not much is happening there. It doesn't have to be a wall. In this case, that's what we do because it's the simplest thing to do. The idea is to have, if you close your eyes, you change the, uh, con- the dynamic of consciousness in such a way that it approximates sleep. That's why we don't do that kind of mindfulness practice. If you have the eyes open, even if you're not looking at any, you know, or consciously looking at the wall or you're thinking about the wall, still that sense consciousness is open. And this five, the six sense fields, includes the mind, are not separate from one, one another. They just look that way. They just look like they're different. They're very much uh, in concert with each other all the time, either promoting your confusion and, and shutting down on your insight, uh, or else uh, or else they're working together to see that uh, nothing is separate from anything else, that everything is fundamentally perfect. This doesn't mean there isn't warfare. Um, what do you mean when you use the word clear or clarity? I would um, just to go further into the word so I can understand how you... I'm, I'm using it in the way that there is, he's, he's saying first clear your mind. I'm saying first you have to see that it's not clear, that it's not, that it's cloudy or that it's confusing or it looks like things that you don't understand or there's emotions or uh, emotions and thought patterns that are bonded to each other so that you can't, you can't, uh, 
uh, you can't understand why it's even there. You can feel the intensity of it. And so being clear about it is just a persistent effort to, to see what it actually is, to be clear about what it is. And eventually the, the clarity around the phenomena that arise in the consciousness uh, be, start to become secondary. At first, they're primary. That's the problem. This is the problem. This is the story. But eventually, what becomes primary is uh, just an image, that metaphor I use all the time that other teachers have used. It's like you're no longer that concerned about what the clouds look like. You're just concerned about the sky. The sky is always blue or it's always dark or it's always continuous. And no matter how horrible the clouds are in the sky or how much uh, tsunamis or lightning bolts or anything, never leaves a mark in the sky. So your mind is like the sky. But if you're attached to the clouds, then you, you, you actually forget that the, this incredibly open dimension that your consciousness actually is. It's, it's the actual spiritual nature of yours, to use a relative word yet. You um, use the phrase here, confusion clearly. What does, what is confusion, when confusion is seen clearly, what does confusion look like? Enlightenment. Enlightenment and confusion are not separate from each other. It's any kind of polarity gets its, its meaning and its strength from its opposite. Anytime you see anything, find the opposite. So if you see confusion clearly, completely, it has to be thorough. It can't be half-assed. It's got to be thorough. And, and the only way that you know it's that thorough is it goes so far and doesn't go any further. You can't, you can't see any deeper. This is awakening. As it, even Dogen in the 13th century, other teachers have said, uh, uh, there's, in the Tibetan tradition, there's uh, co-emergent wisdom. Co-emergent wisdom means that that wisdom and confusion arise together, co-emergent. They come out together, and you no longer can separate the two. Therefore, everything you see is yourself. Everything you see is not separate. No matter how horrible, evil, challenging, or how many big the fangs are, it doesn't matter. It's just your very nature you're looking at all the time. No more war with anything. When you are under the assumption you see something clearly, how That's not clarity. How can you see just continue, just just to continue to do it. One of the things that you'll notice if you practice a lot, you'll notice, you'll just notice over time, and everyone is a little different, but you'll just notice there's, you're less likely to, to object to anything. You'll hear people talk and you'll hear, you know, you'll hear the gossipy stuff go back and forth. You may listen, and you may, but you, you might not even say, oh, that's just gossip, because just saying that is gossip. Naming anything is, is starting to participate in it. I'm not saying there's not a little bit of help coming from that by seeing that something is aggression. <clears throat> but it's better to see, if you see what it is without its name, that's when it starts to, when you start to move into the into that dimension called uh, the Sambhogakaya. There's the Dharmakaya, the body of truth, the body of uh, in-between, the body of bliss, and the body of uh, emanation, or this physical body. So that's when you actually, your, your awareness is starting to go uh, into its natural state. It's, it's no longer being trapped by passion, aggression, ignorance, warfare, belief there's something to win, belief there's something to lose, belief in separation. It's, uh, it's uh, called uh, generosity without a generator. When I think I see something clearly, I you don't. Them, but I seem to move on. To be, well, I know that now, and then, then something else just shows up. If you think it, you're seeing something clearly, you don't. But how can I keep looking at something when... I, I just move on. It's my, my awareness. Doesn't but you're aware that you're doing that. So that's all you have to do. It's always about awareness. And that awareness, as long as you continue with the attitude and the inspiration to train your mind and to, to continue to practice and have the help of other people called Sangha, who are also trying to do the same thing, very important. 
Quite often it's missed. People go to the mountaintop by themselves. I'm not saying you can't do that, but even Milarepa, back in the, what, the 12th century, uh, he was in constant contact with his uh, guru, Marpa the translator. So he'd already hung around the Sangha for a while, decided to go hide out in the mountain. You shouldn't do that. Stay here. Take your medicine. <laughs> really. Joy? Can you say more about um, how confusion and wisdom are not so if you go into it conceptually, you say that the that the the confusion is the is a samsara and is the intense uh, uh, the talk about the uh, the eight worldly dharmas of success and failure, all these polarities, winning and losing, and we're, we get caught by that. We get caught into all of the polarity, and it's reinforced by the by you know being awake and going to sleep and being awake. And everything is is uh, telling us a polarity, polarity, polarity. So it's showing us that things are separate, separating or separate. It's called just manifestation in the physical world. So this, uh, I like to say that our, our spirit, our Buddha nature has been downloaded into this human form. And so we're here and we have a, a length of time that we're, we're here and we, and we either go to war, depending on past karma. Could be, you can talk about other lifetimes without even believing in past lifetimes. You can actually, you can actually say that, you know, we're human beings around in the 13th century. Probably. Well, we're not separate from anything. So in a sense, you were here at that time, probably, for some aspect of your consciousness, not your identity as joy with all that, but something about that, you have some kind of connection. We all do. We've been here forever. We've been, we've been in, we're, who we are, you can't kill. You can't, you can, only the body can disappear, but who you actually are, your actual identity uh, can't be. And there's no promises. I don't guarantee anything. And so the pull the polarity that you're asking about means that as you go as a practitioner, you're looking at your mind. And you're starting to look at the polarity. Quite often, it's this kind of thing, or it could be any kind of distress or difficulty. We look at that, and then at, at some point, we understand that that which is seeing and that which is being observed are not separate. And that's when those, when when the, the realization of the the awareness uh, of understanding and the confusion itself arises, codependent. They, they don't, you don't abandon anything. You don't have to get rid of suffering. You don't have to get rid of any, any world, any person, any devil, any, anything. The practice would be to include it, but eventually you don't have to include it because you just see it's not separate. You don't have to include something that's not separate. So then the wisdom mind uh, pervades everything and doesn't separate itself from, uh, from the, the, the difficulty. You're seen as not separate anymore. So there is no enemy. More well said. I like the first one. <laughs> Yeah, they can't conceptually. They can't be. That's why they're separate. But the example I often you've heard me use this one: the fingers are separate. The thumb uh, cooperates just fine with the first finger. They don't talk to each other, and they're they're separate. They're separated, but the hand very much so. The perception. So don't believe anything. Don't anything anything arises. Make no comment. I like it. I don't like it. It's good. It's bad. Make no comment. This is what you're doing when you're facing a wall. You're training your mind to just be present. By continuing to be here, using your body, we can't find the mind. If we could find the mind, we could just, well, what the hell, just be happy. You know, I'm sick of this suffering. I think I'll just be happy. Sometimes we see a real macho. If death weren't coming without warning, they could probably do that. But if we didn't die, we'd probably in about eight or 900 years, we'd probably. Be. So it's, it's a way of talking about it, that, they, that they, they come up together. They are separated, but when you see what they are, they come up together. Then you see the wisdom uh, that sees confusion thoroughly is the, the Buddha did not awaken to rainbows and unicorns and happy uh, fields of grain or whatever it is. He didn't awaken to some kind of God realm. 
uh, the Buddha saw suffering deeply, not his own, not just his own, but everyone saw the suffering. Even the story says he saw uh, when he left the palace, uh, as a legend story goes, he went out and saw a sickness, aging, and death, and a, and a monk. He saw sickness, aging, death, and he saw uh, a mendicant or a sannyasin or someone who had renounced the world. And so that became his inspiration to, to practice and see, see what this is. So it's not liberation from something. It's liberation without a liberator, without anything to be liberated from. Co-emergent is the way of talking about it. You could say uh, even the Buddha, uh, not the Buddha, but uh, Dogen has a nice way of saying it. He says that sentient beings are confused about wisdom and uh, Buddhas are clear about the delusion of sentient beings. Dogen had, he was kind of a clever 26-year-old. We had a good teacher in China. Further questions, yes? So does the realized person see the non-separation, but because we live in a relative world, pulls whichever one is appropriate at the time? Yeah, someone who is, I don't, I can't speak as somebody who's realized, or I can't speak as somebody who's not realized. It's not, not uh, my, uh, my agenda, if I have one, is to help people. That's what I'm doing. But as far as uh, commenting on what you're saying, I would say yes, very much so. You meet, if you're meeting people where they're at and you're not separate, then you're just like them. You don't separate yourself as some kind of superior being who knows stuff. You meet them right where they're at. And sometimes you may go overboard and scare them if they don't want somebody knowing where they're at. So how would you meet someone in their confusion? Not object to their confusion, not agree to it, not look away from it. So then they would tell you by their activity. You've been watching me talk to people for many years. You could probably give a talk on it yourself. Well, this one guy came and he said something. So he's going to hit him. A lot of times you surprise me. Never hit anybody. So that was that one guy. How do I surprise you? Well, um, you don't bark when I think you're going to. And then sometimes you bark when I don't think you do. Oh, you think I'm going to... And sometimes I try to predict how you're going to react. Oh, yeah? And see if I'm right. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, <laughs> about uh, 1090. 1090. Wrong 90. Oh, yeah. well, I don't know. I mean, you probably know more about it than I do, because I, I, don't, I don't, <clears throat> don't process that way. I don't know what's happening. I don't necessarily feel like I'm accomplishing anything. I also don't feel like I'm useless. I don't, don't have a position. Well, I think it's, for me, most prevalent recently is um, sometimes I find myself really feeling hard. I meet somebody and something occurs and they go, well, I start to growl about it. And you just have this incredible generosity towards them. And I just... What can I say? <laughs> I don't know. I just feel embarrassed by stinginess. Well, embarrassment is just a... It's just a message of self-centeredness. There, there's no, there's no, I mean, I'm not saying embarrassment wouldn't come up for anyone. It's, there's not much stickiness there. Embarrassment that kind of hangs around and haunts you is more about self-centeredness. But it's also awareness. Awareness around that can be very powerful if you're not trying to get rid of it. Explain it. Get rid of it, aggression. Explain it, passion. Or shut it off, uh, ignorance. Don't do anything with it. What should we could do with it? If it's there and you can feel it, just, just feel it. Feel it far down, go as deep as you can. If you have a strong sitting practice, you'll be able to have any situation, any experience that rises in, in, in anyone's mind at any given time. Uh, you'll just notice if you practice a lot, you'll just notice you're less aggressive, that the, the embarrassment that may arise doesn't last as long. Uh, you'll notice that people that you you didn't really like being around so much, uh, you still not might not like being around, but instead of uh, kind of not liking them, actually you start to see why they're so unhappy, you're able to see. Uh, uh, uh.
<coughs> hopefully I won't happen to you. <laughs> you'll, you'll be able to see, you can feel it. I mean, you're not you're walking around all the time feeling horrible because everybody's suffering. But if you start to if you start to go there, you'll start to see why some people are so difficult to be around because they're so miserable. They keep coming out of that misery and blaming or going to war or fighting or trying to solve their problems by working in the physical world. And whereas you're working in a different area, you're sitting down and you're you're sitting with your mind and you're you're working with the craziness of the insanity or the warfare in your mind in a very direct way without correcting it, without accepting it, and without ignoring it. And by doing that, the wisdom mind, which belongs to no one, uh, starts to show up in your physical manifestation. You don't get to be anybody, but that's the idea. There isn't anyone. Yes, sir. We meet someone where that is our conceptualization and our thought, thinking patterns largely absent or way in the yeah. background. No, you don't. You don't, You can't really tell when you're when you're not thinking, because if you if you think you're not thinking, that's thinking. You can't tell when you're not, you can't. There's no one home, so there's no one to account for anything. Nothing is being tabulated. You're just present, and you're. It's more. Uh, you just notice what's more about the color of the person's eyes. You know, they're without any. Yeah, I'm not saying you wouldn't appreciate their blue eyes or something. Not too much of that. Some of that. You see their form. You see the space behind them. You see the trees. You hear the cars going down the road. You're not missing much. You also don't particularly feel like you're doing any kind of spreading the awareness around. You're not. You're not really accomplishing. You're just present, and everything's on receive, and you just receive what's happening. And sometimes what you receive from people is heartbreaking, even though they're smiling at you. And you see, but if you don't have permission, you don't talk, you don't, you don't, you don't teach anybody anything, not without their permission. Somebody has to be ready for that, rather than you project onto them what they need and you go tell them to do things. So, yes. And what uh, It's not about them. It's about you. It's not about them. I mean, of course, it's about them, but it's basically about you uh, vanishing. Uh, your self-centeredness vanishing from this world. Are you seeing that who you thought you were is totally transparent and there's no one home? Uh, and in that way, you can see that that you're not separate from anything that arises. So they wouldn't get anything from it, particularly. They might, but generally speaking, you, they would just get your presence. If they're ready for that, then they'll then they'll see that they're talking to someone who is not, they might not necessarily think, oh my gosh, I just met the Buddha. They wouldn't necessarily think that. But they would meet somebody who is doesn't have any particular agenda about anything. And it depends, because they, they're going to project on you. If they're not awake themselves, they're going to project something on you, even if it's uh, you're, you're not very smart or Republican or an independent or a Democrat or whatever. So more about that if you have a question. It seems like that in some way verbalizes. It could be, but that might, that's, that, that's, a, that's a little bit of an idealization. So I wouldn't go that far. It might, it might not be seen that way at all. There can't be any, when I say they can't, you can do whatever you want. But the way it's understood here, there's no tit for tat thing. There's no, you do something, you get something. Uh, you, it's the only thing you, the most profound form of generosity that I can think of is to give everything your attention. Leave nothing out. And that means totally attend to everything. And at the same time you do that, the other thing that happens at the same time, if you're really giving everything your attention, you're receiving everything that's coming towards you. How they look, how they feel, how they how they smell, how they taste. Obviously, you're not crossing any boundaries. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying you're completely receiving. You're receiving. You're very very. There's less and less production of all about me, all about me. What do you think about me? What do you think about this idea? I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Look what a great person I am, or something. And it's all about receiving. Give the attention. Receive the generosity of the world. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Uh, 
It's not a transaction. Thank you. Is the conversation you had with Joy about us rising in consciousness that was already here? That wasn't a conversation. I just told her stuff. <laughs> of course, we had a conversation. But go ahead. In that, you said, what is that? Your your true identity is uh, uh, is is actually not a, a separate identity. It's you find out who you are. You find you're not separate from anything. It's not anything. A wonderful kind of feeling where so you have a special, oh my goodness, I finally made it. I'm the king of the universe or something. You just find out you're not separate. And it's uh, it's like uh, ordinary. The Tibetans call it Tamo uh, Geshepa, or ordinary mind. Tamo Geshepa, they had to come up with some kind of a name because somebody centuries ago under saw there's something there's something extremely ordinary about this, uh, this uh, discovery that I've made. I'm just making this up, of course. Something very ordinary about this. Something very Tamagashepa about this. And it became uh, part of the teaching, especially in the, the Kagyu lineage. More. The, both an identity and not. It's called not to. If you say no identity, then you have to deal with that identity. So anytime you can think of anything that has a polarity, it's not separate from the other one. That doesn't mean it's the same thing. It's uh, just like uh, the third chant we did here was a Sandokai, Sandokai, the Japanese translation of that is the equality of sameness and difference. So it's both the same and different. I'm, I'm both here and I'm there. You're both uh, uh, there and you're here. You're a- you actually are who you're looking at. You have to see it. You have to, have to see it. It's not about not about uh, joining anything. It's not about refusing anything. Go ahead. Yes. It wouldn't, ma- wouldn't matter if there was thought or not because everything that arose would be perception only. So therefore, this is why when sometimes when people uh, uh, become realized or realize something, uh, it might take them 5, 10, 15 years to actually be able to talk about it or teach if, they, if in fact, they're even called to do that. The realization itself pretty much uh, uh, makes you tongue-tied. You might not say anything for a long time. People around you would continue to project onto you that you were uh, maybe more insane than they are. More. Yeah. Not separate. Very important. Yes. Um, what's... We were talking about like lucid dreams and stuff, and I'm thinking about if everything is in our own conscious, whether it's you know when we're awake or whether we're asleep. How do we differentiate validity of like a lucid dream or whether we're awake and what's an illusion or what's just in our? What's your question? Just give me your question because I'm I'm starting to get confused. I'm not sure how to how how to word it. Okay, I mean, isn't it isn't it all? Our own reality, whether it's conscious or unconscious. No, I, or... I can't. I can't respond to a question that way. So, if you give me a direct question. I'll respond. But if you say, "Isn't it? Isn't it?" Then we get too conversational. I, when I'm sitting here, I don't have conversation. That's why I was um, somewhat, but not much. It has to be question. It has to be very question answer because that that is the nature of samsara. Uh, conversations are the, uh, is the nature of. Uh, Confuse samsara. Even if the two nuclear it, physicists are talking, it doesn't make any difference. It's still confusion. Yes. Is it? Is it? Is is a lucid dream confusion? Yes. Why? Uh, because it's not clear. It's called lucid, but it's not. It's only called that out of contrast to the ordinary dreaming, which is you actually think it's real. Whereas a lucid dream, you actually are having you're in a dream state where you realize that you're actually uh, your reality is you're a body laying in bed having this this reality that you have a little bit of say so. It's still confusion. It might even be more. It's what it is. It's more clarity about the confusion, which is still confusion. And it's also clarity, not to. It's always not to. It'll come together if you if you reflect on this. It's a very, a very tacit 
understanding that is, is available to you right now. If you see it, all of your confusion, all of your samsaric uh, clingings, graspings, warfare start to crack and come apart. And if you, if you get a credential from that, they come right back together in the credential. If you do nothing with it, they just they disintegrate, which is not something to celebrate. If you celebrate it, they come back together in the celebration. Um, that's confusion. <laughs> and clarity at the same time. Not to Sandokai. So, so dark, I can use whatever their Sanskrit is. Let's see. Um, let's see. I can't, I can't pronounce that one. Oh, I know. Tathagatagarbha. It looks like Tathagata. <laughs> Tathagata. Or, or. Further questions, please? You talked about question and answer. Whatever question and answer is samsara. And you seem to make a distinction between samsara and confused samsara. There's different levels. Some, some people we know are just extremely wound up in their life and samsara and thinking this is right and that's wrong. I should and I shouldn't. They're just tied in knots. And there are other people who are looking at that who there's more ventilation. They're on, they're on the path. More than likely. I'm not saying you would have to be on this path. You'd have to be have some kind of a, probably some kind of spiritual discipline going on. I think this is a pretty good one. And so you would be more and more clear about that, and then it would take some time to realize that that's not something you have to get rid of. The initial thing is, that, well, I have to clarify my mind. I have to get rid of all that. And I don't teach that way. I say you have to see the confusion. And then your own Buddha nature will tell you what you have to do about it. I'm not so presumptuous to think that I can tell you how to do this. The only thing I can say is train your mind. I'll show you how. Sit down, hold still, watch what moves. And that's that's taken decades and decades to be able to make that statement. I was not taught that. I was taught Shine and Lakdam or Shamatha Vipassana. I was taught that. And I was taught tantric practices, which you also don't. I don't teach those yet. So yes, you're going to be doing 100,000 prostrates. Not yet. <laughs> I'll soften it up. I'll talk to Pan Lampramache and see why. He only does 12. He has his, his students do 12,000 prostrates. Or maybe I'll do twice as many. We're better than that. <laughs> Further questions? Joy. Why are we sitting here listening? <laughs> mm, I don't know. It's probably a little bit. That's a good question. That's probably, it probably has something to do with um, your own life. I'm not saying you particularly, but anybody's life. And a little bit of confusion. Maybe a lot, some of a lot, and some with a little bit. And just some kind of uh, being somewhat inspired or magnetized by the, the teachings of the Buddha. And then you know that I'm a Buddhist monk, so you project onto me that I might know something, I might be able to help you. And then as you listen, you, you see that you're, that either resonates with your own uh, understanding, your own wisdom mind, or that your own path, or, or it doesn't. I have had people come and study for a few months and then leave. Uh, they, they don't want this teaching. Not that they might think it's wrong, I don't know. But I'm totally, I'm totally, I mean, I don't want them to leave. I think they should stay, but that's my view of it. And if they do go a different way, I don't know what their karma is like. They may need to go in a different way. I had one fellow come and study who teaches Buddhism University. Came and studied for a year or two. We kind of studied. And then he, he actually formally came and sat down and an interview with him and said, you know, I, I really want to study. I'm going to leave you. I appreciate what you're doing, but I, I need to leave and study under a Theravadan teacher. Though That's the original teaching of the Buddha, which we also study. We study the, the Agamas. We spent years studying uh, the Samyutta Nikaya, the Digga Nikaya, which is the other one, Majima Nikaya. So, I mean, I think everything is a little bit different. And a lot of it is a, just a personal connection, you know. With, sometimes you, you can listen to three teachers, and they all seem to be teaching, uh, being helpful. But then one of those people you just have, there's more chemistry or happening. So, and I've been teaching for, what, I spent 35 years not teaching at all, hardly at all. And then just the last 10 years or so, I don't 
Do I have a lot of students? Don't want a lot. I have you. Here's two. And so, and that's, I leave that up to people. I don't really particularly try to merchandise or market anything or make any promise. It's a mutual thing. If I, what I say is helpful, then talk to me about it. I think that's, I don't know what else I could say. Maybe you could say something. Why, what are you doing here? Well, you know, I read in the book proof that you're pointing. Well, that's very simple. And I, I endeavor to do that rather than try to get you on board with some kind of a belief and, or disbelief or anything. It's just to, and to help you or anyone here. Just I'm saying, yeah, I, I can't really give it to you, but I can talk about it in such a way that will it be maybe encouraging for you to go and sit some more. And I, I would like, I highly recommend everyone here do at some point besides do group retreat practice like this kind of to do solitary retreat i spent quite a bit of time in solitary retreat it's very helpful to go in sit down and sit for whatever the time eight hours a day and do nothing but just eat study a little bit sit go to bed get back up over and over and over it's something about that there's nobody to talk to and that's where you really see the conversations you have with your own mind you don't see those when you've got other people to interact with even if it's only even if it's just the mailman or the person at the hardware store, something about that kind of derails the, the insight that is starting to go deeper. I, I recommend it. But of course, it's not a requirement. I'm happy to help people if they never would. They never receive vows. That's, that's none of my business, whether you want to become a monk or not, or become a lay practitioner. More? Yeah, I think what I would say, uh, the way I've talked to people before about it, schedule it a year ahead. If I just uh, look at your whole situation, I mean, we're all uh, householder, uh, fancy words, householder yogis and yoginis. You know, we're all trying to practice a mind training of, uh, of this particular kind. And we, we you know, and again, this teacher is saying you probably need to find some time to, you know, my recommendation is a 10-day solitary retreat to start with. And I've had to chase on, as you all know, most of you know, just finished a 26-day solitary retreat. And I gave him specific instructions what to do during was not just sitting. But he's done several retreats. And so I need to get him trained before I uh, move to, uh, where is that? Oh, Andromeda. No, the Pleiades. I'm going to. So I would say it's not have to, but... You can reflect on it. What if you were to just be in a space where you have a kitchen, you have a bed, you have an altar, you know, like this one here, and you sit and you and just every day you're doing the same thing with no interaction. It over time it 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 allows you to drop down your awareness, just to use a visual metaphor, drop down deeper and deeper into things that you've probably been shutting off from for a while, and then or not. I mean, it's a, a different experiences in retreat. Sometimes the shortest retreat is the hardest. The longest one is not as hard. It seems like um, there's a, a lot of gaining idea around. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I'll take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of what is you go through and you have a gaining idea or somebody feel, feels like they're getting a little pumped up. That won't last long if you're around me. I, nothing to, I mean, I don't preach it. Like There's nothing to gain necessarily. But just, and this is why uh, the, the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, uh, I'm not the Buddha, obviously, but I'm because I'm an old man. I've studied a long time. I fulfill this that kind of a position, the teacher position. Then there's the truth that's been taught, or the Dharma, which is everything is dependently arisen and manifests through this teaching, hopefully, and uh, through other teachings. And then the Sangha, or the community of people that get together, who are all practicing and coming from different kinds of polarities. You know, sometimes 
very interesting that you can have uh, warfare in Sangha with people that are all trying to clarify their minds. But because of the chemistry between people, we, we find that the very area that we're working with starts to get triggered by other people. So that's why it's so powerful. As uh, Kobanchino Roshi, my, my uh, Zen master, uh, when asked, uh, so, uh, so Koban, what, would you, what do you call the Sangha? He says, garbage pit. <laughs> and of course, he's, he was a sweetheart. He's like hugging him is like hugging a feather. It was wonderful and helped me tremendously just with a few words. And so um, the idea is to is awaken truth or Buddha Dharma, awakened truth. Forget Buddha, just awaken truth without credentials, with no credentials. So what you're doing there is you, the, you're working with the, uh, the tendency of getting a credential. So you do the retreat and you can feel possibly in a retreat might sat for a month. Pretty important person. Lots of clarity. Everywhere I look, I see deeply in everything. So that might happen, uh, but um, it's uh, it's like uh, it, it's because things are not separate. It, that separation into some special person just kind of wears itself out through the awareness practice. And so it, it, there's there's some danger of it. Uh, if you for the the classical uh, word for that is a pratyeka Buddha, which perhaps you've studied. There's a shravaka Buddha, which is the listeners or hearers of the teachings, the early students of the Buddha were called Shravakas. And uh, and then the Prateka Buddha is someone who understands what the teaching is and goes off to the mountaintop and keeps enlightenment to themselves and doesn't really help others. <laughs> and then the Bodhisattva Yana is, is the one who is not that interested in their own enlightenment, just wants to help others. And just by putting others before themselves without even knowing it, they awaken. And it's not a big event to them. They don't think, oh, look. Yeah, there was a time when I was really asleep, and now I'm really awake. Uh, if awakening actually does happen, uh, you're, uh, I sometimes say you're grandmothered in or grandfathered in, and I don't know how to do it with LGBTQ uh, plus, 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 or whatever it is. But you're, you're, you realize you've always been awake. You've just been clouding it up and closing it off and shutting it down based on hope and fear. And then you realize this has always been the case. I've always known this. I've always known. And, uh, and, you, and you, if you were to say anything, you would just, you'd just realize you're a nobody. You aren't anybody. You're nothing special. I mean, other people can project onto it. You're not concerned. What you're concerned with is how can I help people who are suffering? And if you if you you can feel the suffering, it's not magical. You're not sitting back, but you can feel it when you talk to somebody. And you also can feel or sense if how much permission you have. I've not had permission yet to hit somebody. But I've thought about it. I've thought about maybe if I just give you a good punch, <laughs> just like uh, what was it uh, Talopa hit Naropa back in the. 11th century with a sandal. Does anybody know that story? He, just, he worked with them for 12 years and just got tired of you know, just dealing with them all the time. So he took off a sandal and went, wham! <laughs> and uh, Naropa, as the story goes, it's a story. So we apparently attained uh, Anutra Samyak Sambodhi, which is a word for the Vajra-like Samadhi, the, the, the no separation that is indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> So sometimes teachers, uh, depending on their style, all different styles, rude for your benefit, or can be can be in come across the, the conventional boundaries for your benefit. They're they're intending to help you, and how you take that maybe is uh, I don't want this to be around this had this happen quite a few times. Yes, see how selfish you are. Be aware of how self-centered and selfish. And thank you for the question. Just all you have to do is witness that. Just witness that. Don't try to change it and be a better person. Don't, don't try to manipulate your, your try to be some kind of better person. Just just be with that. Uh, what that will turn into 
uh, to use as a fancy word, is humility. You just realize you're here, you put others before yourself, but you're nobody special. Other people can project onto you, they can compliment you, they can love you, they can say you're a wonderful, the most wonderful teacher there. And you, you may you may notice it, but you can also see the motivation behind why someone's saying it. You can see that they maybe they do love you, maybe they do need your support, or maybe they're trying to manipulate you, trying to get you to think something. But humor. <laughs> humor is always funny. That's why they call it humor. Good question. Thank you. Further questions? Further good questions? How about some bad ones? Okay, bad. Bad one. Oh, oh, recently in the Dharma talk, you said you're waiting for the question that can help you say what you need to say, but you haven't had it yet. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the topic or close? So, to paraphrase you? what you've said, and so everybody can hear. I know what you're saying, but so it goes on. Uh, Avin says he's not going to. He responds to questions, and what you—he doesn't know what he's going to say, but your question can bring out what can help be most fundamentally. Just helpful. like that one, that was a really good question. Look at how look at how selfish you are. That's a simple part of it. And then I harassed her, but she's ready for it. She's a, she's a close student of mine. I can do that. Other people, uh, people that I have just met, like Brooke or something like that, I have to wait and see if there's even any connection you know, that way. So the question. I don't think I can say much more about it other than please ask questions, very, very straightforward questions. You know, Josh's questions a little bit because Josh is a, a very uh, intellectual, not a compliment, just a description, but very conceptual, you know, works with concepts, how things are, and thinks, of, thinks through things about things. You do that. It's very thorough. That's uh, in Tibetan, the Tibetan word for that is, uh, for that style is uh, Vajra or intellectual style. So not right, not wrong, not, it's just that style. So it's sometimes uh, because you're smarter than I am, not a compliment. Uh, I have to slow you down and so I can actually respond to what the actual question rather than engage in a conversation. It's like the standard question I'm trying to ask. Progress. What was it? General Electric said progress is our most important part. What a height. <laughs> yeah, this guy is back in the 50s. Further question? Can you stay clear in the presence of a compliment? You don't have to stay clear. Staying clear is artificial. Don't stay clear. Just be aware of clarity and watch your emotions when somebody is complimenting you. Just watch the emotion. And then if you can, if you're if you're doing that without any any leverage either way to get rid of that thing or to not act a little puffed up over it, just go ahead and feel the puffed up quality because that's where the identity is. If I compliment you, uh, you'll see, you'll notice your ego in a minute. If I criticize you, even if it's if we're just play acting, just if I start just looking and saying, well, if I just look at you, you're one of the most terrible students I've ever had. I'm so unhappy. See how your eyes are closing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, it's just the opposite. It's wonderful. <laughs> well, something about that, you know, uh, we can feel it. We can, we can feel it. Not, not that that's a particular way of helping somebody. It's more about just noticing that and then working with that and notice how you're affected by other people's ideas, opinions, compliments, criticisms, and use that as a, in our tradition as a Dharma gate. That's a way that you can see the way in which your confused, confusion is laced together. It's, it's, there's a kind of a laced quality of that that stays hidden. It's called ignorance. And so if someone compliments you, that kind of comes apart a little bit. But if you do anything with it, if, you know, if you come back and say, oh, no, no, it's just, I'm just here to help. I'm just, I'm nobody special. I get to say I'm nobody special. You know why? I don't know. <laughs> is perception only the same as no adding and subtracting? So no adding and subtracting is the path. Is the, no, don't add something. If something is happening, don't comment. 
uh, and don't uh, judge or evaluate that. Not that you could, I mean, if it comes up spontaneously, if, I mean, if there's a, you don't, we're not going the other way, it's, it's called a middle way. So not too tight, not too loose. So if there's some, some, suddenly somebody does something really, really negative, it's not usually the negativity, but don't add to it. Just let, let the negativity be what it is without your comment on it. So it's, that's part of the path. Don't add, don't subtract, don't divide. Those are the three poisons. Oh, and when you and the path is, of course, seeing how much you do that. It's like seeing how selfish you are, you know, or how, how it's seeing that and not doing anything with it. Don't cover it up. Don't try to get rid of it because that's because uh, uh, anytime you try to get rid of something, you're actually doing further separation. It's more devastating to the ego than that. It's so devastating to the ego that we all don't want that to happen. But if you, uh, I don't know how else to say it other than just uh, if you're inspired by this path and you want to you want to see the ultimate truth for yourself, so you no longer have any questions for me or for anyone, and so you get your own authority. You don't need to look anywhere for authority. There, there isn't any authority but you. But it needs to uh, it needs to come out of credible uh, awareness or no separation. It can't come out of some kind of thinking process that's evaluating and judging a relative situation. So the path would be not doing that, but then the ultimate, the realization is everything is perception only. So you don't you don't see any people, and you, and there's no one that is seeing the people. There's just the perception of it, and the perception is not separate. So you see the separation. You respect, uh, in fact, and in fiction, you will see the separations more clearly through awareness than you will through any kind of convention or rules or regulations, including the 16 precepts that, that, are, that are meant to help you on the path so that you eventually can function out of your out of your bodhicitta, out of your heart center. As I've said many times, you need to rise up out of our gut, which is all about fear, and drop down out of our mind, which is all about paranoia. And if there's any thinking happens, it needs to come from here. Fancy talk. Yes? So does that mean perception only? You have an awareness of how you abstract which the way you function doesn't come from the thinking. At that point, your wisdom mind just naturally. That's a pretty nice way of saying it. This might take 30 years or 30 days. There's, there's no way to know. Anybody that's here is that your particular karma is, uh, as it's said in the four reminders, uh, you're free and well favored. You're, you're free because you're free to come and go and you decided to come here today and in the past, other days. But you're well favored in that your mind is not so locked down you're well favored that your mind is not so locked down on beliefs and opinions and ideas and that you can't even can't even handle coming to something like this just to even see what it is. You're, because your projections onto it are so strong, you never see what it is. You see, well, that's a bunch of people who are turning into vegetables, looking at their mind all the time. It's like, well, they really would be better off to get up and do something valuable with their time. That works as if, you, if we never died, if the body never went back into the elements, that would be okay. But since... Death comes without warning, this body will be a corpse. That's pretty intense. So train you. If you find out who you who you are, there isn't any death. There's only death for the body. Who you actually are can't die. It's never been born. Only what's born goes down. And who you actually are, as, as the fancy word, is eternal. We don't use that as any kind of a promise because maybe it's not true.